What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Progressive Action Podcast. Now, this is our second show of the relaunch, and we have a very, very, very special guest. Her name is Jacole, Nicole Jelinas, and uh, welcome to the, the show, Nicole. How you doing? Good afternoon, Jamal. Thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm pretty good. How are you? I'm, I'm excellent. I'm, I must say this. I'm very excited to talk to you today, just off of I, what, what I see on Twitter. And, you know, I'm, I'm very excited. But can you tell the people a little bit about you, like, who do you work for and what you do exactly? Sure. I am a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute, which is a New York think tank, and I am mostly focused on budget issues and infrastructure issues. So I'll write about the New York City budget. What's uh, What are we spending our money on? Are we spending it wisely? I'll write about the MTA budget. And I write a lot about the MTA infrastructure. Are we building... Are we spending our capital money on the right subway and bus projects and so forth? So just a lot of local policy issues. And I also write a column for the New York Post on Mondays. Mondays, yeah. That's where I, I read a lot of your material. Well, actually, there in the, um, the Manhattan Institute. And sometimes I get the vibe. I'm like, do she like transit workers? Do you like transit workers? I like transit workers. Uh, no, I, I think I'm not one of these people that uh, dismisses the idea that uh, – transit workers are not critical to the system. I know that the transit workers are working very hard in difficult conditions. And, you know, just as uh, and, you know, there tend to be unions in the city that are uh, more lionized, I guess, but I, I tend to think of the transit workers as certainly just as important and critical to the city as police or firefighters or uh, anybody else. You know, sanitation workers, obviously very important, but uh, transit workers are certainly right up there. But you do you do feel that we overpaid and, and, and things like that, right? I don't think that transit workers are overpaid in terms of the, the cash wages according to the MTA, and you may uh, dispute this and what you see and what your colleagues see are about $90,000 with overtime and with benefits, it's about 134000 I think that it's perfectly reasonable for people to expect to make $90,000 or, you know, whatever it is, uh, a little bit higher or a little bit less in a high-cost environment like New York City. You know, if you're a bus driver, you're taking on a very difficult task of having to navigate through traffic, watch out for pedestrians, watch the people on the bus. I mean, we're asking a lot of transit workers, and we should pay them commensurately. My issue, which is not like, it's not because I just, you know, have a, a bugaboo about it. It's just on the cost side is what can the MTA afford is more with the benefit side where is it sustainable for the MTA can, to continue to paying to, to, to pay for the level of healthcare benefits and pension benefits that they're paying out. And it's not something that if we keep going on this way, it's the transit workers who are eventually going to be negatively surprised and having healthcare you know, suddenly cut back and stored instead of working on it in a sustainable way that how do we work with the MTA to try to have a more efficient healthcare system and cut costs and share some of the savings of the cost. But the current way that we're doing it, where the New York City transit labor costs have basically gone up by $2 billion, you know, it, back in 2010, 2011, it was like $4.8 billion a year. Today, it's $6.8 billion. If we can't keep 
increasing costs to the level that we're doing, particularly on the benefit side without saying on the healthcare side, are we getting the level of uh, the service in healthcare that we are paying for? So, you know, I think it's something transit workers should be thinking about too. Does the long-term budget picture and does what the union tell us, does it really serve us in the long term? Okay. Um, you explained that um, very well. But, you know, um, thank you. <laughs> you know, the health care and the pension, we're going to touch on that a little later because I have some specific okay. things to um, to ask you about that. Now, as as was you at were, were you at the MTA board meeting today? I didn't go to it, but I watched the whole thing on the computer and I read all the budget documents over the past couple of hours. OK, that's good. So I seen you post on your Twitter um, uh, some screenshots from the, uh, the budget plan or whatever the case is. And one of the things you screenshotted um, was what has changed since the July plan. Now, when you analyze that, what alarms you about this um, this plan as far as what changed since uh, July? Well, I think the whole thing alarms me, and it should alarm other people too, because the financial picture is getting worse. You know, they came into, and I'll, I'll bring up the screen here, so I'll give you the exactly right numbers. They were already looking at a more than $400 million annual budget deficit starting a little more than three years from now and a $300 million budget deficit in 2022. And so that's without a recession. They're assuming that the economy will continue to grow, tax revenues will continue to grow, people are still going to buy and sell property at pretty record high prices. So even in July, they were looking at a $700 million deficit looking out over the next few years. And since July, the budget picture has actually gotten worse. It's gotten worse by another half a billion dollars. And the ways that, first of all, management is making a lot of questionable decisions. Like if you're saying the budget just got worse by $500, billion, $500 million, what do we want to do? Well, they're still going ahead and adding 500 new MTA police officers. Now, I think it's important to police the subway system, but there's no evidence that there's any kind of crime emergency where we need to go out and start paying 500 new police officers. That's going to cost $250 million over the next four years. Well, let, so me, let, me, ask you something. Already- let me ask you something about that, because that's very important. And I think that this is what it's good that me and you was having this conversation because I'm a worker and you, you're speaking from the outside. So 500 yep. police officers, um, you know, a lot of, I, I, when I watched the, uh, the MTA board meeting, the end of it, you know, a lot of people was questioning, you know, the 500 police officers, but don't you think the 500 police officers will be good because, um, every 36 hours, a transit worker is assaulted. So, well, let me ask. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. So um, I'll, I'll, I'll answer you, but I want to ask you, too, because I want to learn more about what you do and what your colleagues okay, think. Okay, because I'm, I'm I mean, a, and, and I, Yeah, I got it. And I, I'm asking in a, a serious way. You know, I'm not being sarcastic or anything, but do you think that the 500 new police officers will be helpful? And, like, in ter- terms of what you observe in the system, do you think that the NYPD is doing a good job? Do you see their presence in the stations? I mean, do you feel like you're more in danger than you were a few years ago? I mean, do you think that the solution is new police officers? And and maybe you do, or do you think it's something else? Well, I think 
any addition of security to to the workers is good. Uniform police. Um, sometimes there's police on the train that we don't see, right? So um, yep. it all depends how these cops are deployed. You know, it, it, we don't know how they're going to be deployed yet. So nobody can really answer the question. But adding more police officers in the system is a good thing because if you look at this same um, screenshot that you put on your uh, your Twitter. Um, in the in the the section that say changes and reestimates worsening financial results, um, up there has uh, let me see, I seen something. Oh, uh, higher New York City transit public liability and workers compensation. So when there's no police um to deter people from assaulting us, then you go get higher worker compensation. So you think about a, a transit worker assaulted every thirty six hours, which I think is even more than that. When these workers get assaulted. They out for two years on workers' compensation. So more police to deter people from assaulting us is a good thing because you will figure that workers' compensation cases will go down also. Yeah, and I don't disagree with you. I think that's an excellent point. But I'm worried that here's the governor that just got it in his head to add 500 MTA police officers and there's no indication of what they're actually going to be doing. Like Pat Foy, the MTA chairman, said today they'll be doing fair evasion work. They'll be doing mental health, homeless outreach work. But they're also going to be doing counterterrorism work. But the NYPD has a pretty comprehensive counterterrorism uh, system in the subways. I mean, it's obviously not perfect, but it's been working. The NYPD is pretty expert at this. And now we're going to add officers from a completely different police force that doesn't have the same experience. I mean, the MTA police officers generally do Long Island Railroad, Metro North. Uh, you know, if there's drunk people on the railroad, the conductor will call and the police will come and so forth. But they're not they're not used to doing the fair evasion work and the undercover NYPD work like the undercover NYPD people. They know who all the sex offenders are. They know who the habitual pickpockets are. They're not perfect by any means at engaging in the turnstile jumping, but they, they know how to do it, what to look for, what, you know, are they, are they doing a, a fair bus to try to get a gun off of the subway system? I mean, it's a kind of complicated thing, and it's not very clear that the MTA quite understands how it's going to deploy these 500 people to make sure that we're really getting our money's worth and having them, uh, you know, reduce serious crime in part by looking at lower level crime. And things like the homeless issue in the subway, the mental illness issue in the subway, it's very hard to fix those things with policing. I mean, you may need police if someone gets violent or so forth uh, when an outreach worker tries to approach them. But I think we should be building 24-hour drop-in centers above ground and making it very clear to people, you cannot stay in the subway. We're not going to arrest you, but you can't, you can't have all your belongings in the subway train. We're going to take you to the drop-in center, and there's computers, there's food, there's a shower, whatever else. But it is not an option to stay in the subway system. And so... I'm not sure that they're really looking at this in a systemic way. Do, do you think 500 police officers are a lot? Well, there's 2,700 NYPD officers. So, 
Yeah, it's a lot. I mean, you're thinking about uh, increasing the number of officers by about a fifth. Uh, you know, cr- violent crime in the subway, you know, and I'm certainly mindful of the fact that assaults on transit workers are a more serious problem. But in terms of murder, robbery, uh, serious crimes, it's significantly down over the past 30 years, although there have been some worrisome signs in the past couple months. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we've, we've had three murders on the subways this year. It's been more than a decade since we had three murders. I mean, we usually have zero to two murders, but if they're not deployed in the right way, we're just paying a lot more people to, uh, you know, uh, this is more like a state trooper uh, people coming to this city than, uh, yeah, than police officers who were really well versed in dealing with a captive, crowded underground subway environment. I agree with you on that. And uh, me personally, I don't think that the 500 cops are enough because when you look at how it's going to be broken down, even before how you look at they're going to be deployed. So you have 500 cops. Um, these cops won't be cops don't normally work alone. They work in pairs. So now you have 250, yeah. you know, pairs. And then you got to think about the, the three tolls. You got a.m., p.m. and midnight. So then once you break it down that way and then now you think about deployment, it's really a drop in the bucket. These 500 officers. I just think that the governor is doing it just to shut some people up. But I don't really think I mean, any uh, one extra officer will be good in my eyes because that one officer may prevent someone from assaulting one of us or, you know, robbing a customer and things like that. But um, it all goes to deployment. And I think that we both um, agree on that as far as like how 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 they're going to be deployed. If they're not going to be deployed right, you can have a thousand officers. If they're not going to be deployed right, it's going to be ineffective. Yeah, and and I think that the the MTA Pat Foy need to be more transparent on this deployment issue. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, so um, uh, what what you feel about the 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 higher fare box revenues um due to increased ridership? So they they labeled that at um two hundred and fifty three million dollars, and right now we are in a contract fight, as you know. Uh, do you think that? that increase fare box revenue should go to workers? Well, I think uh, my short answer would be no. What? And the longer, <laughs> well, I'll tell you the more complicated answer. And, uh, I, and it, it's, uh, and you know, I'm just, I'm just being straightforward with you. I'm not going to give you a, a long uh, convoluted answer and instead of just saying, you know, I don't think workers should expect very much out of this because first of all, if you look at the, their page in the budget for New York City Transit, they are projecting to keep wages and overtime flat over the next three years. So right now they're spending about $4.1 billion for 2019 on New York City Transit, payroll, and overtime. And by 2021, they want to spend the exact same amount of money on payroll and and overtime. By 2022, very little increase, about $100 million a year. So basically flat. So they're not budgeting for any wage increases in this budget. And for a lot of people, because people doing track work and inspections and maintenance have been getting a lot of overtime over the past two and a half years, 
and that goes to the MTA's poor management. I mean, it's not work, transit workers' fault. Of course, you, people are going to take advantage of as, as much overtime as they can get. It's, it's a management failure. No, wait, 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 wait. Hold on, will, hold on. I got to stop you right there. We don't. I, I mean, I don't. I don't know if you know the difference between Long Island Railroad and New York City Transit. We don't create. Sure. We don't create our own overtime, so we can't really take advantage of overtime if if there's um work to be done like i look at taking advantage of overtime as uh poor management um letting workers work overtime without doing work whenever a new york city transit worker has overtime to do there's work to do like if i do overtime because i'm I'm a conductor i don't know if you know that but if i do overtime it's to keep service going the mta is not going to give me overtime to sit down and twiddle my thumbs so us in New York, yeah. us in New York City Transit, all the overtime is accounted for, and I think that's um, you know certain journalists they go out there and confuse M- uh, Long Island Railroad and New York City Transit. Like all this, uh, what's, what's this Chronos? That's not because of New York yep. City Transit. That's because of Long Island Railroad. Whatever happens over there, I don't really know what happens, but all of New York City Transit overtime is accounted for. Yeah, I don't, and I, I, I think maybe taking advantage of was not the right term. I mean, I meant that in a way that, like, if the Post asked me to write an extra article, I'll take advantage of that extra opportunity, but I'm still doing the work. I just mean the MTA management should be trying to do more work on straight time so they don't have to pay overtime, and that means going back to... It, would it be better to hire more people and rearrange the shift so that you have more street time shifts? What they're asking for, for having to work 40 hours in a week before overtime starts to kick in rather than having overtime start to kick in by the day. I think you're absolutely right that at the Long Island Railroad, you have a lot of overtime and people that are making, you know, three, four hundred thousand dollars and there's not a lot of work to be done. Now, if they were here, they would say that's not true. We're working hard. But they, they have rules, thing, things like if you operate a diesel train, an electric train on the same shift, you get paid twice for that. And that doesn't really make a lot of sense. I, I mean, do I, think the abuses are much worse at the railroad. Uh, and this uh, overtime at New York City Transit is more due to poor management of letting all this maintenance work back up, having to do it all in an emergency. And, uh, you know, but they want to shrink that. Now, who knows if they'll actually be able to do it or not. But they are basically saying overtime is going to go from $700 million a year in 2018 down to 500 for next year. So what that means practically for a lot of transit workers is people who have gotten used to working more for more pay are going to have to take a, a pay cut, which again goes to the bad management because nobody wants to take a pay cut in what they're taking home every week. That's correct. Now, just to be clear, when I say I don't know what's going on over there, I don't know how they operate. If they get a differential between operating two different pieces of equipment, then I give that, um, I, I, I support that. You know, they should get a differential for operating um, two different kinds of equipment or whatever the case is. So whatever they collective bargaining um, says and they, and they earned it and they fought for it, they deserve it. So I don't, I don't want to get that confused and say that they don't deserve it, but I do want to touch on, um, you know, it sounds like you said that 
uh, the MTA basically should hire, try to hire more workers to cut the overtime cost, correct? I think they have not been very rational in back in 2008 in cutting a lot of maintenance work. And then the, the tracks deteriorated, the signals deteriorated, and here we come in 2016, 2017 with this big crisis. And we had to go up to almost a billion dollars of overtime at the peak. So it would make a lot more sense to have a bigger uh, full-time permanent staff of track workers, signal workers, and so forth, rather than go back and forth with the, uh, the, the surges in overtime. And then they said they were going to hire all these people, but they only hired about half of them. So now they're cutting those positions out. It just doesn't give you a lot of confidence in management that they they know what they need and how to accomplish what they need. Well, this is the thing. I, I, I'm not going to allow you to have it both ways because, you know, you complain about the pension benefits and the health care benefits. If you hire more workers, they're going to get pension benefits and they're going to get health care benefits. Um, so it goes against actually what you say, because if the MTA know that the only way for them to function is through overtime, so it's cheaper for them to pay overtime than to pay another health care and another pension. So there, there's always going to be some level of overtime and, um, in New York city transit, uh, just because hiring more workers means that more expense that the, that the, uh, the city and the state will have to pay out. Um, like I said, in the form of pension, healthcare and whatever else you may have you now, I don't think the public, I mean, I, I say the public because you're a part of the public, um, really know about, um, how management actually wastes money and, and, and through discipline, you know, discipline is a major thing in New York city transit. So let's just say that, uh, I have, uh, I, 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 what, what could I say? Um, i accidentally or customers say that I hit them with doors. You will have, this is this, you don't get in trouble for this type of stuff unless you egregiously do it. Like you bang them with the doors. If it's an accident, mm. someone jumping in, you know, in between the doors and they get hit by the doors and they, they call it in, you'll get to the terminal. And even though it's not, it's not anything serious. This, this type of stuff happens all day, every day. Um, you'll have a superintendent send you down to the Mac to go get tested, incident, uh, testing or, uh, what they call that fitness, fitness testing or whatever, make sure that you ain't drunk or whatever the case is. So now they got to pay you to do that. Now they also got to pay someone to do your job. And they possibly paying overtime on that for something that's that commonly happens. Now, there's no real policy. There's no real policy on it where if X, Y, and Z happen, you have to go. This is all to the discretion of the superintendent. And sometimes these superintendents impose their will and they bully workers. And the MTA, like Pat Foy, they don't understand how the actions of some of these superintendents increase the operating budget as far as overtime and things like that. This is something that yeah, that's, no, that's, that's, that's not talked about. Yeah, I think that's that's true. I mean, they it's a it, it's a huge bureaucracy. I mean, we've got thirty six thousand unionized NYCT and MAPSTOA workers, and then you know you've you've got tens of thousands more workers you at the railroad. So, well, there's thirty thirty six thousand transport workers, union workers. And then, you know, you've got tens of thousand people at, at the railroads and the management oh, oh, structure include, and so forth. you're including all of them, okay. Yep. All right. So, 
any big bureaucracy like this, a lot of the rules end up making no sense and they fall. There's not, there's not enough discretion. They fall on the wrong people. And it would be nice if the new transformation officer that they just announced today would really start to look at some of those things. But unfortunately, I think a lot of it is going to be very superficial and a lot of what we've already seen in the past. I mean, when they talk about like consolidating back offices and why do we need five payroll systems, we can just have one. I mean, we heard this after the financial crisis. We heard this 11 years ago. So it's a little bit disconcerting that here they are going out hiring a new top tier of management to do this transformation when they should know enough about it to do it themselves. And so do we see any real improvement in discipline? You know, who knows? But a lot of uh, good uh, things that were a good idea 40 years ago when they set them up that no longer have very good outcomes or good results. And on, you know, should you hire more people versus uh, pay overtime. I want to I mean, hear yeah, you. I, I actually want to hear you explain that it, because you say hire more people, but then you have a problem with the pension and the healthcare. Like, how do you hire more people without giving? Um, and when I say hire more people, more permanent employees without giving them healthcare and, 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 and pensions. Like, how how would that work for you? Because it seems like you're trying to burn the candle from both ends, and it just wouldn't work. You would have to pick uh, one of the two. But how would you? How would it work for you? Yeah, I think if you're looking at an organization that's consistently blowing its overtime budget and they're spending seven, eight hundred million dollars on overtime when they want to be spending five and six hundred million dollars on overtime a year. And when we look at a schedule that says we are going to continue to modernize the subway signal system over the fast forward plan if that gets approved. So there's going to be an almost near constant demand for signal workers. Theoretically, if we if we're running more trains with better signals, we're going to need more train operators and so forth. And so just having uh, MTA that wants to better maintain and upgrade its infrastructure pretty much indefinitely. I mean, this work is not going to be done in five years. If we're really committed to doing this, it will take 20 years and running more and and better service. Then, yes, they have to level with the public and say, this requires more people and this is what we're putting in the budget for these people, rather than let us just be surprised every year that the fact that they can't meet their overtime budget. But on the, on the healthcare issue, I think pensions is more complicated because it's, it's state law. There's a, it, it's very you can't really cut pensions without cutting cash payments to pensioners, which is uh, not very easy to do. But with the healthcare uh, costs, I mean the MTA this year, they'll spend a billion and a half dollars on healthcare just for the TWU uh, or the New York City transit workforce. And that's going to rise to $2 billion a year by 2023. So the healthcare bill will go up by half a billion dollars a year over the next three years. And I think there should be some way for the union and management to to agree. The healthcare bill is not sustainable. Like just like there's a national healthcare crisis with 
you know, people can't afford their health care premiums in the private sector. Medicare runs big deficits. I mean, we need to start to get these costs down. And with an organization that has tens of thousands of employees, they should be able to do a much better job of. Hold on one second. Got to get it back. Give me one second. Accidentally cut it off. Give me one second. Got to get Nicole back. Please do not leave a... Wait, hold on. Got to get her back. Got to get her back. Accidentally pressed the button. But this this interview is going real um interesting so far. And we're going to get her back one second. Yeah, I'm, my fault. I pressed the button. Oh, okay. I pressed yeah, the button yeah. on my phone, yeah. and it, and it and it cut off. Oh, sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we back though. Yep. Now, what you were saying, uh, you were saying um about the uh the 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 health the healthcare and you was comparing it to Medicaid and 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 that type of stuff. Yeah, I mean, if you look at healthcare costs, the national Medicare program looking at huge deficits. Now, there's a lot of answers for that. Do we raise taxes? You know, what do we, no one's really figured it out. The Medicaid program for poorer people, I mean, the governor has just announced a huge cost growth and deficits in that program for New York State. And then if you're in the private sector, you know, you're, you're paying for a healthcare plan where you've got a $6,000 deductible. So you're kind of paying for healthcare, but isn't really healthcare. And then you look at the Aetna plan that uh, the MTA offers, and it's $25,000 for a family plan. I think there needs to be a really hard look at what are, what are people getting for the amount of money that the MTA is spending, and could this be done with more in-house clinics, with uh, uh, sort of savings on medication, you know, more generic drugs, more bulk purchases, uh, lots of things that the MTA doesn't seem like they've even thought about doing and using their tens of thousands of employees as a pretty good negotiating lever with the, the healthcare provider. So it would be nice to see something like the MTA could come to the union and say, instead of spending $2 billion in healthcare by 23 what if we could spend $1.7 billion and we can split the $300 million in savings between the union and the MTA? But it's not a lot of creative thinking on that. I, I see. Um, and it's funny because when I seen the MTA contract proposals, you're the first person I thought about. I said, did Nicole have something to do with our contract proposals? Because some of the things that you spoke about, the MTA, you know, they address. So they basically want us to pay um, 4% into our health care i believe that's what they proposed and they only want to give us a two percent a year raise so really it's going to be a negative two percent alone if you just want to compare wages and us paying into uh our health benefits and that's not even counting 
you know, the pension tier six. I don't I don't know if you really familiar with tier six uh, as far as like when the first tier six employees will be able to retire. I think it's 2037 or 2038. I'm tier six myself. Uh, we won't be able to survive. And I think that the, the, the whole purpose of tier six as it stands now is to have workers not retire and work until they die. So we won't have to collect the pension because even if I was, even if I was to retire in, in 2037, uh, basically transit workers for the past, I would say, uh, 20 years, we have been getting less than a dollar raise a year. So if we stay on that pattern, my base salary for my position in about 20 years would probably be about $85,000. And there's no way possible I will be able to survive in New York City taking half of that home, $40,000. You can't survive for $40,000 right now. So how would I be able to do that in uh, 20 years from now? Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you, but I think that the MCA is taking the wrong approach and saying, okay, we're just going to fix our healthcare problem by making the workers pay more and doubling their contribution. That doesn't address the overall cost. They're just asking you to pay a little bit more of the cost rather than them. But they should be going to Aetna and looking through and, you know, look in, in bringing union reps as well and looking through every aspect of this health plan and saying, what does it cost to visit the doctor? Can we make that cheaper by having a few uh, in-house clinics where people can stop by if they are, you know, if they just have a, a minor issue and so forth and bringing some more of it into the workplace in looking at hospital networks, you know, what is what is Aetna paying the hospitals? I mean, most likely the MTA healthcare project, uh, the MTA healthcare contract with Aetna, they're paying very high rates because a lot of other customers are paying low rates because they negotiate better. Mm-hmm. So just getting the cost of the healthcare contract down. And that way, both you save money and the MTA side saves money. But to just look at the four-year budget and the costs are just going to keep going up and up. I mean, at what point does the MTA say, we just can't afford this anymore? I mean, it, it used to be like $700 million a year. Uh, it, so it's it's doubled over the past 15 years. And it's what happens if by 2026, 20, 2030, you're looking at an MTA spending $3 billion a year on healthcare. And, you know, this goes into like the whole thing about should we even have employer based healthcare? I mean, you looking at uh, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Medicare for all, uh, getting th- those plans have their own complexities and flaws too, but getting healthcare to not be an employer responsibility because this is hurting salaries in the private sector and it's cutting into the MTA's ability to provide service. That's correct. And um, I don't know if you paid attention to, I think about three weeks ago that the union uh, tried to bring another healthcare provider to the table and say it was going to save the MTA about 40 million a year or something like that. And uh, Foy pointed out that this uh, provider that the union brought to the table went and cover diseases uh, that mainly affect African-Americans, such as yep. uh, uh, sickle, sickle cell, cell. and um, it went and cover immigrants. I don't, I don't know the immigrant demographic as far as uh, race is concerned um, with the MTA, but uh, 
I found it peculiar that the MTA would take a stance of basically calling the union covert racist, of of pointing that out. I, I found that kind of peculiar. How you felt about that? Yeah, I think some of the things management has said over the past six weeks are strange, to say the least. Even today with the sort of what not being able to really say what are these MTA cops going to be doing. Uh, so, no, I, I would certainly not, uh, you know, uh, endorse that approach by any means. I mean, I'm not really – people think of – you know, you're either on management side or labor side, but I'm really not on either side because I can see, you know, apart from the incendiary language, I think the reason that the management is taking such a hard line with, with the union is because they're just looking at these deficits and they're panicking. I mean, if you're if you're a Bob Ferran and you're trying to put together the budget, I mean, they're basically getting these savings out of thin air, and the savings might not even materialize. Like, how are they really going to restructure and get rid of 2,700 workers over the next year? That's a really complicated, difficult thing to do, but they've already assumed that they can do that, so they've already taken those savings. So when they're looking at these deficits and they're thinking, well, what if we have a recession and the deficit is more like a billion dollars or even higher – I think it's just causing them to panic and not do very wise things. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that they're being honest as far as those 2,700 job cuts because I heard uh, one of the MTA board members, I forget his name, but he mentioned uh, something to the effect that how are these uh, New York City Transit presidents or or the presidents throughout the the MTA is going to function with less uh, supervisors that's going to be cut within the 2,700 um, people and Foy uh, made it clear post the um, MTA board meeting that um, there won't be no cuts, but these twenty seven hundred positions will happen through attrition and, yep. and and not filling these vacancies up. Which I don't understand how he he's going to do that. So they they estimating or assuming a certain people um, certain amount of people is going to retire from particular positions. And they just not going to fill those positions again. I think ultimately they're going to make cuts and lay off people. Um, and there's not going to be nothing to stop that. So I think to answer your question, as far as um, them working the 2,700, the number from the 2,700 people they're going to cut off, I think in their mind they know that these people go go one way or another. Whether it's acting nicely, it's through attrition and the vac- not filling the vacancies. But they don't want to make people panic and say, hey, we're going to cut your jobs, which I think they ultimately is going to do. I think they're giving pink slips next year. Yeah, I, I think you're probably right. And again, especially if the economy turns down, which is, of course, not the best time for people to lose their jobs. And many people who might think about leaving would keep their job if they didn't think they could get a different job somewhere else. But I think it is a, it's a, it's a very backwards way of going about things. I mean, they the governor directed this very long process of the transformation plan, the Alex partners plan, and then hiring this new transformation officer from Canada. I'm sure he's a very nice, knowledgeable person, but he's never worked in a transit environment. He, he doesn't understand the complexities of New York politics and the union <laughs> contracts and, you know, all the different silos. And so 
it's, it's going to take him a year just to figure out how all of this stuff works. I mean, it, it shows serious deficiencies in an organization and the governor's sort of approach to the organization that you can't do this work in-house, that you have to go and hire all these consultants and all these new people. Now, Byford is different because he's run a transit system before. He knows you know, uh, how a transit system works. And obviously, he hasn't been too smart about New York politics and, and how the labor agreements work and so forth. But at least he was a transit person. But you know, bringing people in is kind of window dressing and what can they really accomplish? I think the whole purpose is that they're just trying to buy time and hoping some kind of miracle saves them. But it just doesn't seem like that's going to happen. Yeah. And I, I ran into Bifit the other day and I said that exact same thing to him. I said, you miss you miss um, you misunderstood and took took advantage. I mean, didn't think that the New York politics would be like this, you know, and he laughs. But I know that's the case, you know, coming from the places he, he came from. There's nothing like New York City politics at all on earth yep. i believe you know um i don't think there's nothing like it and uh as far as as far as bifit do you think that he's doing a good job yeah i think he's doing a good job given the constraints that he has i mean they have improved the on-time performance you know foy is right to say we're above 81 percent now for you know many months uh, running i can't it's much better than it was two years ago when they were uh, flirting with 58, 60%. And so what, in things like trying to recalibrate the signals, you know, he seems, uh, he seems like he really wants to do a lot more, but is constrained by the political environment. I mean, it would be good if we could just get the signal modernization projects going much, much more quickly than they are, including just thinking about shutting down some of these subway lines for six to eight months so that the workers could basically work 24 hours without having to worry about trains coming through and everything else. Yeah, that's good. Um, and, and, and the MTA put out a tweet the other day, yesterday, I believe that said, um, October's on time performance rate was 81.5% up nearly 16% from, um, this time last year. It just keeps getting yep. better. You know, I, I gotta, I gotta applaud my coworkers because we keep these trains, you know, moving on time, um, a lot of people don't understand the conditions that we work in. A lot of the times when there's delays, we are delayed too. We have family to get home to. We have loved ones to take care of. Um, we don't eat lunch. We don't. It's not even the fact that we don't eat lunch. We don't get a lunch when there's delays. And, yep. you know, we give a lot to the system. You know, it's hard for us to get days off. I can't call in tomorrow and say I need a day off. I got to put, I got to forecast my days off. 20 days in advance to get a day off we 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 give a lot to the system so we deserve to have the best health care we move with the mta brag they six to eight million people a day that, can you imagine the type of germs that we we come across yeah. every single day you know for eight hours a day being around all these different type of germs and 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 being called names because of things that we cannot control so this job takes a physical and a mental toll on you and I don't think that people such as the media is really paying attention to the conditions that we work in. We deserve the best of everything. And I don't feel that we did. De we deserve, we getting the best. We right now I'm working in the city that I can't afford to live in. I can't afford to live in, in New York city. We not making, yeah, no, I, we not making enough money 
to uh, work in, in, in New York City. Bottom line, I don't care what anyone says. Yes, they say, oh, you make 70-something thousand a year. You can't really look at what you really make a year. You got to look at what you actually bring home after, tax, after the tax man get to you. Because sometimes sure. those tax dollars is never recovered on your income tax return. It's, it's, it's like giving to the government. So um, that's why I, I find that, you know, some of the stances that you take is, is real interesting because it seems like in the way you're saying, you know, um, yeah, the MTA is your fault. But at the same time, uh, as far as like what you just explained for the healthcare, you saying that it's the boss's fault. And I agree with you. But you're not also saying that, you know, these these men and women deserve the best health care because of the conditions that they work in. And 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 yeah. I mean, I want you uh, I want you to explain. I want you to say it now if, if you feel like saying it. I think everybody should get the best health care, whether they're in the TWU, they work for the MTA or not. But we can't afford to spend what we're spending on health care. So is all of the money that we're spending, is that really getting us the best health care? But yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with you about the cost of living, the challenges, that these are very difficult jobs and interacting with the public on a constant basis where you have to deal with people who have mental issues. You know, you, you see the whole public. You don't see the little slice of the public that a lot of people might, might work with. I mean, this is New York City and, and all of its uh, good things and problems. Yeah. Now, the MTA, in my opinion, they can fix a lot of their worker compensation problems, especially on the buses. You know, they got these partitions, and these partitions don't really do anything. If you look in um, cities like London, they actually got the bus operators totally separate from the riding yeah public, that's true right yeah so why yeah. why why nobody's talking about the mta more protection for their workers because you can't spit on somebody you can't touch and that will dramatically decrease um workers compensation um uh the the, the revenue the, not the revenue but the deficit from the workers compensation it, that would um dramatically decrease so let's just say that the MTA spend, and I'm just going to throw a number out there, $200 million, right, to put in full part- partitions. And right now the workers' compensation, they tagging that at $108 million. In 10 years, it will be a, a, a surplus because that will be money that they won't be spending because uh, bus operators won't be getting assaulted. Yeah, you would think that Byford would look into that because he must be familiar with with the London bus system. Because yeah, you you get on the bus and the bus driver is completely in that little booth in London. And when you when you have a problem with a passenger, do you think that it's usually because there's a mental health issue or there are other things going on? You can't you can't measure it at that time because you don't. I mean, yeah. uh, unless you you judge them. And you say, all right, this person look homeless, so they must have a mental health issue because if they're homeless, where they in a rush to go to? But um, you don't know. There's people with mental health issues that dress like me and you every day. You could you can never sure, tell. Yeah. You can never tell. But one thing I can say is that most of the time we get assaulted, operational employees, cleaners, frontline employees, we get assaulted due to things that's beyond our control. So um Yes, we control we control the doors. Um, we not we don't all the all the time control the speed of the train because passengers don't know about flagging 
and going through work zones and, and things like that because they're not educated on those type of things and some people be in a rush or you know uh my my thing is that uh people wait for trains trains don't wait for people we have to stay on a schedule also yeah so, so if you if you see someone running for the train and for some reason, this bothers me for some for some strange reason. You see somebody running from the train, you know, you want to be nice. All right, we go, we go let this person um get on the train. You you hold the doors for them, and then they holding the doors for the next 10, 15 slow people behind them. Now, yep. now that train was supposed to leave a minute and a half ago. Uh now you're late a minute and a half, and you can't really make up that time. Once you're late in the system, the only way that you can make up that time is if you get a get a skip stop and things like that. But then that goes into a whole nother issue of dispatchers afraid to dispatch because of the 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 bosses and rail control center and things like that. So the the whole issue of why people are mad, it could be it's mostly things that's out of our control. Or sometime the train ahead of us is running late and they gotta keep that train on time, that train to leave. So now the person, the 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 next train that come in the person is mad at that train operator or conductor and want to take their anger out on them. So it's a yeah. whole multitude of things. But like I said, for the most part, it's for things that's beyond our control. It's mostly the MTA bosses and managers and, and the people who the public don't see is responsible for a lot of these things. Yeah. And how many times a week would you say that you have a, a, a you, you have a negative interaction with a customer, like whether you know, whether you're not assaulted or, or, or not, but you feel nervous that that person is going to do something. Honestly, I, I'm nervous all the time, just just because of the culture. Like every time when we do um something called um platform observation, that's when we do our 75 foot sweep Um, after we yep. close the doors and the trains move. I'm nervous all the time because. I don't know who's upset. I don't know what people going through. People hide behind pillars. I had a lot of my coworkers be um, been punched on the blind side with trains leaving the station, spit on um, things thrown at them. So every time I'm nervous when I'm out there with the uh, ride in public because you don't know what may um, tick someone off. You know, and sometimes it'd be as simple as a delay. I remember one time it was a sick passenger on my train and I believe that they may have had a seizure and, the customers were so rude on, you know, they didn't understand why the train was moving. And I made announcements to say, hey, look, this person need medical attention. And they didn't understand. Just drag them to the platform. You know, we cannot do that. You know, and and some people are so selfish that they don't care about anyone else but themselves. And, you know, sometimes yep. that will cause, uh, 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 um, you know, an assault or whatever the case is. But, you know, I don't care what it is. We don't we don't come to work to get beat up, and and it just shouldn't happen. Yep. So um, uh, I want to go through some things that I I have seen you post, and um, I'm gonna ask you about it. So this actually came from something that you wrote in the Manhattan Institute, and you said, "Uh, but why not a wage freeze if it's truly in a crisis? Unless the TWU can find big efficiencies to keep overall costs flat." Why do you champion a wage um, freeze for employees? Well, I'm just looking at the numbers in that how is the MTA going to solve these budget deficit problems? Keeping in mind, they've they've already they're already trying to eke out 
$2 billion over four years in savings on the, the non-union, white-collar, you know, administrative, su- supervising, management side. It's not even clear that they can do that. So when I see the bottom line of the deficit, there's only so many places you can take it out of. And we just did a congestion pricing, which means we can't really expect the state legislature to enact a new tax for the MTA anytime soon. I mean, they just did it. It took years and years to get congestion pricing passed. That money is supposed to go to capital. So it's just more like I would turn the question around. And first of all, a wage freeze, meaning you can get raises as long as you can figure out efficiencies to pay for their raises. Basically what the MTA is asking for. I mean, something like if you and the MTA can achieve healthcare savings, then that money is what goes to the raises. Because as you said, you've been getting raises, but that money is going back into the healthcare system, so it's not really a raise. Uh, but I would turn the question around and say, if you would want to have a raise that keeps up with inflation or higher, which is certainly perfectly reasonable then where would you get the money? I mean, if you if you were looking at the MTA budget and you put yourself in the position of the CFO, where would you find the money to pay? Like instead of paying like four billion four point one billion dollars for uh, the 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 New York City Transit payroll and overtime next year, instead paying four point four four point five. And then the budget deficit is bigger by, you know, two, three hundred million dollars. I mean, where would you see the MTA can find that money? Well, first, first of all, you can't keep robbing Peter to pay Paul. And that's what I learned today from the CFO that they was taking. I think it was something like almost one hundred million dollars from the operating budget and putting it to the capital budget. When, yep. the, when the capital budget is basically is going to be funded, they already passed legislation for the, um, like you said, the congestion pricing or whatever the case is. I think that them blowing money on a capital budget, that whole capital, <laughs> the way that's ran, that needs to be broken down and rebuilt because um, a lot of the capital work that's being done as far as, you know, rebuilding stations and, and, and things like that, the MTA have inside workers that could do every type of job here but they hire contractors and um these contractors they don't work around the clock for the for the amount of money that the mta is paying these people you would think that they should be working 24 7 to make the job go by quicker and faster you know they're not they they're not doing that but why isn't the mta looking inside first to get the work done because we're already getting paid we're already getting like you said a pension a health care why aren't you using your, your resources inside before going outside? Do I think that there's a level of corruption there and people may be getting paid? Of course. That's the only thing that I could look into as to why they would continue to get contractors to do work that New York City transit workers are trained could do. And, and, and in most cases, they do a better job than, than the contractors. So um, as far as uh, me looking into uh, these different budgets and, and where we could save money. I think that the capital thing needs to be um, destroyed and rebuilt. They need to stop robbing Peter to pay Paul. Like Samuelson said today, the money that they taken from the operational budget and give it to the, uh, the capital, 
our contract could be could have been settled yesterday. And but so why doesn't Samuelson and uh, Utano and the rest of the union leadership, why don't they go to the MTA and say, here's the contract for signal work and here's what you paid outside contractors to do and here's what we could do. We could bid on the same work and we could do we could do it for this amount of money and then you would get those savings and so that could help pay well, for the rate. Well there's nothing to bid on. You have you have departments who could do that same type of work. Yeah. They're already on a payroll. So the question I, I tell you the truth, I don't know if they're doing that or not. Um because we not at the Yeah, meeting. I think yeah, I think the union should go to them, and you know, it's not not you're right. It's not quite a, a bid, but just say if it if it were done under the bidding process, here's what it could cost. But here's what we can do. I mean, if you've got X amount of stations to be done in X amount of months, here's our estimate of how we can do this work and how much money we can save. And you know, really pressure them and say this is uh, you're wasting money on the opaque capital budget side on you know the construction union, I mean, we talked about the LIRR, you look at the construction union work rules and prevailing wages and everything else, and there's a lot that could be made much more efficient on the construction side. And so if the TWU can be a part of that, then I think those are suggestions they should be making. But in terms of taking money from the the, op, the fare box, as John was saying today, and putting in the capital budget, from someone like Ferran's perspective, He's, even with congestion pricing, they still need to raise $10 billion in bonds for the next capital plan. And so it's like, you're right, they're robbing Peter to pay Paul and taking every dollar that they can and trying to redirect it. But still, all of those things they're doing because they don't have any money. I mean, they're, they're, they're looking at very real deficits that it's just, you know, it, 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 I shudder to think what will happen if we have a recession because then you would be looking at service cutbacks and lower ridership and everything else so i think they're they're doing a lot of this out of panic and not like good thinking i agree and and when you take money out the operational budget and put it in capital that operating money is supposed to take care of uh you know maintaining the equipment and you know things like that so now when you don't have money to maintain the equipment what happened more delays um yep it's going to cost the MTA more money. So at some point, they're going to have to stand 10 toes down, as I like to call it. And 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 I think that the capital, they, they have to find another way. I think they have to review um, how they do these contractors. They have to. Yeah. It, when, when you when you look at um, just recently, we had a they had a contract a cleaning contract. I think it fell up under the subway action plan and yep. they, they spent a few million dollars, I think like nine, ten million dollars to have these cleaning companies do the same exact job that the cleaners, uh, the mobile wash units <laughs> already do. So it was like a waste of money. You know, you was better off just training um, um, these these workers how to use this new equipment. And to be honest, they acting like it was rocket science. These people, they using hand scrubbers and, and power washers and nothing that will require more than a day worth of training. And and they spent all this money for work that could have been done by these, uh, the mobile wash unit already. So, and the union agreed to it. They signed off on it. Why did they sign off on it? I have no idea why. They claimed that they got better language as far as now no contractors could come do the work, which I don't, you know, believe. 
but sometimes the union um, is complicit in some of these decisions that make no sense. Yeah, and I, I think they were probably hoping if they were very cooperative with the governor, the governor would in turn come back with a good contract officer uh, offer, which obviously, from your perspective, he didn't. And I think at point, like, if you look at the last two contracts in 2012 and then 2015, the, the union benefited from cooperating with Cuomo. How? And now, how, how? well, because you don't, so you don't think the two contracts were very good. Well, you weren't there for the, the you started, you started, you started in 2017. 13. Okay. And you're, were you happy with the contract that just expired? No. I mean, see, this, this is the problem. And a lot of people like to throw this out there. They like to say, oh, you know, and, and the union use it too, which I don't get. Um, yeah, you know, you guys got a, a, a raise above inflation or at inflation or things like that. Inflation only makes sense if you at the proper cost of living dollar. So if you want to compare it to McDonald's workers, they got a, a, a 15 percent um, wage increase. Right. That 15 percent of is, is what uh, <laughs> about eight times or, or five times more than what inflation is, whatever, whatever the case may be. Does that mean that they can survive in, 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 in the city in which they work? No, it doesn't. So we don't make enough money in this city dollar for dollar for inflation to even make sense to us. Inflation only makes sense as if your dollar is true to the, what the actual cost of living is for the city. So they could give us okay. they could they could give us cost of living all the time. Like to me, I mean, um, inflation, inflation, if you want to compare it to, to swimming, um, you could still be drowning. Cost of living is is you 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 free you freestyling on the water. You're on top of the water. You got your stroke going, and and inflation allows you to bob your head up and get a good breath of air before you go back and dive or whatever the case is. Inflation only makes sense if cost of living makes sense. So when people say, "Oh, you got to yeah. raise above um, inflation," okay, and what about the cost of living? And we lost so that would- in our contract in 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 the eighties. They took that out of contract. So what would you, I mean, if, if you were designing the contract, what, what level of raise do you think would be fair? And what would you want besides raises? I mean, do, do you think, like, the, for, for example, last time they did the parental leave, they did a little bit better optical and stuff like that. I mean, what, what, what level of raise would you be satisfied with? Um, I, I think that we should just take a... a Whatever, whatever Metro North and Long Island Railroad is getting, I think that is more than fair. We move, uh, we move more people a day. Um, our operating budget is ten times more um, than uh, than Long Island Railroad. We we bring in ten times more revenue, matter of fact, than than Long Island Railroad. I think that's fair. I think that um, how can you work for the same agency, basically do the same job duties and get paid less? And and the section that get paid less is uh, the section with the most minorities. Um, uh, New York City Transit has a forty nine percent African American um, work uh, percentage alone, and and seventy seven eight seventy eight percent minorities altogether. When Long Island Railroad have sixty two percent, and Metro North have has the same thing sixty two percent also. So um, why do we get paid different from them? 
I think that we all yeah, should. Yeah, I think that's a think, fair question. I think that we but should. The, we should we, our contract should put us in line with those guys over there. And, and the, I think it's all those points are very fair, and there's a lot of history here and everything else. But the problem with the Long Island Railroad and Metro North, you know, particularly Long Island Railroad, because Metro North has gone through some strikes, and you know their their costs are better, but not great. But the the two railroads, they are also broke. I mean, people, if you're riding the commuter rail, you're paying like three hundred dollars, five hundred dollars for a monthly pass. They also face pretty big deficits and I didn't look at the specific pages for it, but I'll, I'll pull it up now. But, uh, you know, I don't, I don't disagree with the premise that the pay should be fair for the same work, but then I would still go back and say, where does the MTA get the money for this? That they're already looking at these deficits. It's very difficult to see where they're going to get a new source of tax. I mean, people are paying the payroll tax, they're paying a portion of the sales tax, petroleum tax, the new, uh, uh, the, 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 the small portion of congestion pricing that's on Uber and Lyft that goes to the, the operating budget. So it's just very hard to say if we're going to increase uh, New York City transit wages by, say, 20%, where do you get that extra billion dollars? A year. And I, 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 if if I, Foran were to agree you should get a raise, he would have a very very hard time saying where do you get the money. I I, I think I think they got the money. I just think that they mismanage it. You know we are we are right. pay, we are paying for mismanagement. We not paying because they are broke. And if you was to look at this as a a, a, a traditional um, corporation such as Sears or or Walmart or Macy's, people would have been in jail and fired. For the mismanagement of the money that the MTA does, you know, if the governor sure, is the boss, and 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 you know, why why is he still in office? This is his agency. Nothing but yeah, mismanagement no, I, happens here. Nothing but they got the money. They they mismanage it. So you could have the 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 MTA could get a donation of thirty billion dollars right now. In five years, they will find a way to mismanage that money. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, they've been they've been bailed out every single decade going back 40 years, but that money is never enough. But I think that gets back to you mentioned how they mismanaged the capital budget, which is absolutely true. But can the union present these savings and say we should have a portion of these savings? Because I think without doing that and without making bold, credible proposals they're just it's going to be very very difficult for them to find this money and it's uh like i, I was just looking for the the railroad budget so let's see if i can uh yeah so so while you pulling that up um i want to yeah i want to answer that um should the union um pro- propose these things absolutely should should the public get behind the union and the media and the media such as yourself, write articles about how the MTA could save money? Absolutely, because everyone gets affected. And I don't think that people understand really what's going on here. If the TWU, if we don't get a raise for the next 10 years, you want to know what else is what's going to happen regardless? Fares are still going to go up. So the MTA likes yeah. to throw out a narrative of, 
you know, um, we gave the workers a raise, so now we got to raise fares. It has been an excuse for decades. If the MTA would never give us a raise, they still would have to raise fares. So I think that this fight, it should be a collective fight. It should be the union, it should be the public, and it should be, should be the media because all of us as individuals are affected, including my family. I only get a pass for myself. I don't get a pass for my family. And Long Island Railroad, now Long Island Railroad, they get a pass for their their their, their family and their significant other, their domestic partner, not even uh, married. You, you could just have a, a, domes- a domestic partner and they get a pass basically for the whole family. You know, we don't get that here. So in New York City, um, for New York City Transit, if there's a fair hike, my household is affected because that's more money and going I- into Metro cards and things like that. And I'll give you an example of the mismanagement. If you look at the Long Island Railroad budget, for 2019, they're spending $600 million on street payroll and 150 on overtime, so $750 million. By 2023, they're going to be spending $700 million a year on payroll, and the overtime will have gone up to 175. So you're looking at the budget going from 750 million to closer to 900 million. And there's no, you know, I'm not, I'm certainly not saying that the MTA should take that money and give it to the TWU, but there should be some scrutiny on why is it that the MTA is saying we're going to keep the transit wages flat but we're going to let these big increases in the Long Island Railroad budget go through. And I'm just, you know, I'm not saying that in service of anybody. I'm just trying to get the facts out there that that's a real question that the union should be asking and the, and the public and the press should be asking. Well, why do you why think? Does the, uh, well, I think it's a big part of it is Bicuomo sees the Long Island Railroad region as a swing voting region that, that people <laughs> it's political that, okay right I mean <laughs> so he wants to keep the Long Island Railroad happy and the way you do that is higher pay and also they have to go through this big mediation process under the federal railroad laws and you know there's lots of excuses and inefficiencies but the bottom line is you have Long Island Railroad budget that's going way up. I mean, much, much faster than inflation and no one is questioning that. So if you were to say, we're going to save this money and some of that money should go toward us, then you've given them an answer as to where do they get some of the money. But absolutely, you know, I, I think that this is part of the problem that the railroads have been treated differently than the subway and bus workforce. But still, it all comes back to the mismanagement and the fact that that leaves them with no money. Yeah, and and I believe that the makeup, the demographics of these workforces um, plays a part too. So if you say that uh, Cuomo considers Long Island Railroad, you know, a swing vote in place, um, you know, there's a saying that say, you know, more Caucasians vote more than, than, than people of color. So he's looking into that. He's looking into those demographics and looking into the people who actually take that um that service over there. You know, they make a lot more money than most of the people. And I will assume I think that it's, a, it's, it's fair for me to assume that that they make yeah. way more money than the people in the city and, and, and things like that. But, you know, I believe that the demographics of um 
the different agencies play play a part in a lot of the decision making here. Because you know, I find yeah. it, I find it funny that um, the the African American percentage. If you look at the um, what's the name of that diversity report? If you check, I think they're coming out with the new one next month. But if you check out the diversity report, for some reason, um, Long Island Railroad and Metro North, they keep a 62, 63% Caucasian workforce alone. And uh, the the African-Americans is like maybe like 17%. How does that happen without a civil service test or whatever? Because it's resume over there. So I basically think that they keep those doors um, shut and just do enough to, to, to make a quota or just to say, hey, we're not racist over here because we let this amount of people of color and and, and things like that. Um, I think all of that plays a factor. You know, I just find it strange that those numbers stay the same, relatively the same from year to year, and 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 is mostly resume. The MTA basically pick who they want to work over there. And it, also, the construction unions have had, although they've improved. They've had many of the same problems. I mean, going back 50 years that, you know, these are guilds that you get into the union because your father was in the union or your grandfather and everything else. And so there's a lot of protection of these these high wage construction jobs. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I believe it happens um, over there for the most part. It's hard to do it here because this is um, civil service. You basically got to take a test. Now, once you get inside, yep. you know, they could take care of you. You know that you you almost expect that to a degree. The net, that type of nepotism to a degree it happens. I see it all the time. But sure. uh, but um, let me see. I have something else that I wanna I wanna t- talk to you about. Uh, um, yeah, we talked about the pension. You have mentioned something. Where you mentioned this at? In city, you do you write in City Journal? I want to make sure this is you. Yep. All right. Um, New York City transit employees can quit working after only 25 years of service at a lavish pension of 50 percent of their average last two years pay. Um, <laughs> why would you say it's lavish? Because I don't see, you know, tier six, me walking away with nothing, nothing more than fifty thousand dollars in, in, in 20 years from now is, is being lavish. There's nothing lavish about that. I think it's an un, it's a un understanding or a hope for understanding that most people in the private sector are not getting this. Like you mentioned if Walmart and other companies were mismanaging their workforce the way the MTA does, they'd be in jail. But the people who work for a place like Walmart, and I'm not defending their pay either, but they're paid very little and they don't get anywhere near the pension or healthcare protections that the TWU workers get. And so it's a way of saying if people are upset that they're not getting a raise or the raise is only going to keep up maybe with inflation, it is partly because the MTA has to spend a billion dollars to maintain these New York City transit pensions every year. So if you didn't, like, of no, it, if you're looking at being paid half the amount that you were paid when you were working, that obviously doesn't sound like a lot. But if you're working in the private sector and you're trying to save money every year in your private retirement account, it's very, very difficult to get up to that level where you can replace half of your income. And so I think it's a 
bigger problem where we need to fix, you know, just like with healthcare, although it's more difficult because you're dealing with cash and not a lot of inefficiencies in the healthcare system, we need a much better retirement system for private sector workers, including, you know, possible matching funds from the government for people who save if they make under a certain amount, uh, better, cheaper, well-managed, low-risk index funds for people who want to supplement Social Security, uh, more tax credits for saving for retirement and so forth. But it, over the long term, it's very hard, both politically and fiscally, to sustain, sustain a system where some people get guaranteed pensions where it may not be the amount that they would like, but it is guaranteed for life and they don't have to worry that if they don't manage these funds well or they can't work and so forth, that this money is going to go away. Whereas in the private sector, the people who are paying the fares and paying the taxes don't have anything like this. And so I'm not, you know, to be frank, I'm not sure what the solution is, but I think I would be remiss to just ignore these costs. I mean, if you're looking at the MTA budget and you see, okay, what is New York City Transit spending its money on? Well, the pensions are a billion dollars a year, even when the stock market is at record high. So what happens when the stock market goes down, when they, they, they lose some money on their pension fund investments and these costs go up? I mean, it's something that people should be aware of. But again, how to fix it? Very difficult. But we don't fix it by just ignoring it. Okay, that's, um, that's, that's I guess that's, that's fair for you to say, but... um. I think that, you know, even when when you say private sector workers, I, I think about, um, you know, people who may work for um, I think of like um, not executives, but people who may work for Macy's, but in the corporate office and, yeah. and, and, and things like that. So they typically they make more money than the average person, you know, uh, because they don't get these these pension benefits, but they get 401k. And most of the time they are matched dollar for dollar for their 401k into which we not. So. They may not have a pension by uh, law or legislative, but they have, you know, like 401ks, 457s and and things like that, that will give them the same effect as a pension um, when they retire. And then a lot of these um, corporate people, they have um, what they got severance, severance uh, pay, and they have all types of other type of things that we don't have as, as city workers. They can even buy into the company, I believe, a lot of these corporate workers. They could buy into the but company. if you if you were to ask someone who's like maybe forty years old, fifty years old, because they they got rid of the old line pensions, you know, you if you're in your sixties, you may still work for a company that offers a a more MTA style pension. But for the most part, anyone younger than that, they're in the four hundred one k, as you said. They would probably say that they would prefer the old-fashioned pension. It's just that that's not an option for them anymore. I mean, if, you, if you're trying to put money in a 401k every year, maybe you get an employee match, but it's very hard to save enough money to replace half of your earnings. I mean, you're looking at probably having to save, you know, a million dollars, more than a million dollars. If you're going to say, I'm going to retire at 65, I might live for 30 years, I need to make $50,000 a year from now for the next 30 years, and I need to do that out of the money that I save. So it is, uh, uh, and I think that's partly why 
there's such high demand for these TWU jobs. I mean, there's a lot of applicants for every job because the two systems are so disparate. I mean, you have one which private many people in the private sector would consider to be very a very very generous benefit system, both on the pension and the healthcare side. And then on the private sector, where you don't get any of that, you're paying high healthcare deductibles, you're worried about your 401k, but yet you're paying higher taxes. Uh, and, you know, it's not, I agree with you that it's the cost of living in New York is very high. It's not easy to make a living on $80,000, $90,000. But for a lot of people, it's difficult to get a job that pays $80,000, $90,000. I mean, even, in, even if you're looking at middle management, it's it's not easy if you're a middle manager at a place like Macy's. You're worried about getting laid off. You know, it's, it's all the same problems, but without this benefit structure. And you could say, well, they can they can unionize. They can ask for exactly. the same thing. <laughs> that's exactly, that's exactly what I'm about to say. But they need to it, unionize. Yeah. Organize. And I think that it goes to the point that these are big picture national issues where there should be some kind of middle ground where it's uh, you know you take a lot of this out of the employer responsibility. So whether you work for Macy's or the MTA, your employer is not responsible for your pension. You put more of your own savings, including matched by tax uh, uh, credits by the government. This is money that is invested much better. Uh, but definitely, can we go on with a system where some people get essentially nothing, and it's not nothing, but you know they might think it is, whereas other people get what companies like IBM were offering 40 years ago. It's just over time, the political support for these benefits will erode as the cost goes up. Yeah. Now, the the um, I don't know if you're aware, but um, a lot of the people who have skilled trades like people who fix elevators and escalators and things like that, they have been leaving the MTA in lieu of going to the private sector and making more money. So Yep. And yeah, got anything construction. Yep. And yep. so that's another challenge that they're dealing with. And it goes to your point, you know, do we bring more of this in house? Well, if you bring it in house, you have to pay more and, you know, a lot of complexities. But yeah, I mean any any skilled, experienced construction worker in this market uh, can make a, a good living. Yeah, so they, because they figuring, I mean, how, how, how much um, does the pension really mean to them if they, um, if they willing to leave New York City Transit to uh, go to the private sector and just make more hour, you know, so I think, it well, de- I think it depends what type of job that you have to say, you know, um, well, the pension mean more or whatever, because a lot of people are leaving to go, like I said, go to the private sector, these skilled trades. And what the MTA try to do to make um, the transit authority job more appealing is that they um, starting them at a higher top pay to attract them. And they don't have to take a test. They being hired through resume. Hmm. Yeah, it's, if, if they're going to work for the unionized private sector construction industry, those pension funds are basically bankrupt. I mean, it's like the MTA, they're not, they have financial distress, but a lot of the unionized private sector construction uh, pension funds, they're already under federal administration. You know, they've already cut back benefits to some current retirees. So, you know, my point is only that the 
as the country gets older, as there's fewer younger taxpayers, uh, these pension and healthcare obligations for an older and, and a workforce and for more retirees, they're very difficult to address all around. But it doesn't do a lot of good just to ignore them because, you know, the numbers are here. I mean, they just the MTA just doesn't have the money for this stuff. So let me ask you the top three things that the MTA have to do to become sustainable again. What will be your top three that they will have to do ASAP? Rein in the construction costs. You're absolutely right about that. They should look to Europe, look to Japan, see how do these other places build these construction projects for a much more reasonable price. So that's one. Two would be the healthcare issue. Uh, they should be looking ahead to try to say, how are we not going to spend $2 billion a year on healthcare in the next, by 2023 and looking to save some of that money and share it with the union? And I think three would be uh, the, the looking at the two railroads, uh, particularly the Long Island Railroad. We should be going to fare gate payments just like we do on the subway so we can automate some of the, the fare collection and just really looking at some of these railroad work rules, uh, the vacation time. And you're looking at, you know, uh, what's wrong with the vacation? Hold on. What's wrong with the vacation time? <laughs> well, well, I mean, I, uh, I don't have the specific number of weeks here, but I mean, it's a lot of weeks of vacation at the, at the railroad. So well, I'm a, well, let's use us. At, we get four weeks. Vac- we get four weeks up into 15 years after the 15th it's year. It's more than that. And, and I'll, Long I'll try to find it here. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but yeah, just cutting costs at the railroads, including probably having to take a strike at some point at the LIR. But if they were to just do one of those things, maybe they have money to give you a better raise. Uh, I, like I said, I think that they have the money to give us a better raise. It's just that they got to stop mismanaging the money. I mean, look look at the work they just did on the uh, Sea Beach line, which is the end the end line they took 18 months to rehab a few stations and it don't look like they really did anything why would it yeah. even take 18 months to rehab a station if you like you say you look into china japan they putting up skyscrapers in two weeks <laughs> meanwhile yeah, no, the uh... mta taking 18 months you know to, to to rehab a station there has to be some level of corruption with that there has to be there's no way around it, especially, first of all, if if I'm an MTA boss and I'm in charge of the construction, um, I forgot the gentleman's name who's in charge of it. Um, oh, Jano. Jan, Jano uh, Lieber. Jano Lieber, Lieber yeah. right? Yeah, so the first thing I would ask is, can you work around the clock? Do you have staff to yeah. work around the clock? You know, I think that's fair. And, yeah, go And the vacation pay at LIRR is five weeks plus 12 days of sick leave, plus a long-term bank of 72 day, days. So there's some room in there for the railroad to save no, the money. No, no, it's not. That's fit. Like, when oh. do it say when do they get that 15? The, the, uh, at what time do they get that five weeks? How many years? Uh, I have it here somewhere. Uh, it's, it's for longer-term employees, so it's probably five to ten years. It's probably longer It's probably longer than that. I would use us for an example because it's, it's basically reflective of us. Now, the sick days, we work with the public. 
There's no way around that. Um, we come across plenty of germs, different type of germs, the homeless. You see what goes on in the subway. We got to clean out these trains and interact with these people on some type of level. And God knows when the last time they have been to the doctor to know if they had TB, um, mononucleosis, or any type of airborne disease that could get us sick. So, yes, we deserve those 12 um, sick days. The vacation time, we deserve more than that. Because if you look at all the other city agencies, we have to wait five weeks. I mean, 15 years to get five weeks. Any other city agency, NYPD, corrections, sanitation, FDNY, they're getting five weeks after five years. So if you ask me, we're way behind. And I think you said 72 hours worth of leave. I think that's equivalent. 72, 72 what? Days. 72 days uh, worth of yeah, leave. Yeah, you can bank. If you don't take your sick day, you can bank it. So when you retire, you can have that as a sort of head start on your retirement. Well, I think that's fair because if if you um look at how much the MTA claim uh, that workers booking off sick cost them, it's like a quid pro quo thing. If you don't take your sick, we'll buy you out for it at a cheaper rate than you actually taking the sick. So I think that that's, that's more than fair also. And even with us, you know, I see some of the media may have touched on, you know, we get um, days that we could take off like AVA and or, or OTO, our OTO time. I think we could bank up to 90 something hours, I believe. But that's time that we actually work overtime. So instead of taking it in pay, we could elect to use it to take it, you know, for a day or whatever the case is. I think that's fair because it's not given to us. It is earned. Sick time is not given to us. It is earned. And vacation time is not given to us. It is earned. And like I said, compared to all other city agencies, um, it take us longer, 10 years longer to get that extra week. And I don't, I don't think that's fair. I don't think that's right. I think that we should get the five weeks after five years like everyone else. And, and people like to touch on our um, longevity pay. Transit Authority longevity pay at max is $750 after um, 20-something years. If you look at the longevity pay of NYPD, FDNY, sanitation, or corrections, they are getting close to $4,000 after five years. Is no no comparison to, to transit workers. Um, their, their base salary is higher than transit workers. The base salary alone, they get in a, in a lot of their applications, it tell you they estimate the guarantee overtime that you could get um, with those agencies. That's not guaranteed with us. So if you compare New York City transit workers to any other city agency in the city, um, we are behind, far behind. So it, it boggles my mind as to, you know, how some people could say, you know, we want to take this away or you guys, this is too much and you need to scale this back. While we don't hear that same type of energy for any other any of the other city agencies in New York City. Like, would you would yeah, you no, would you would you feel comfortable saying that the NYPD, because now more more cops are coming to the system. Would you feel comfortable saying that, you know what, you guys get too much vacation or you guys base salary is too high or you guys get too many days you could take off and things like that. Like would people feel more comfortable saying that to a transit worker? Because they feel our jobs aren't aren't as important as a as a police officer, and I don't think that's fair. I think that if transit was to say, if if the union was to say, we're not moving no trains tomorrow, everybody suffer. Every, I I, I think 
I think the same challenges exist for the city's workforce, you know, particularly the uniform, uniform workforce, because although the years to work before retirement went up under Bloomberg, it's 22 years if you're a police officer, so you could be retired for longer than you worked, which I know it's a difficult job and everything else, but those costs, too, have become unsustainable. So, yeah, I mean, I think I don't I don't know what the rules are as well for, you know, police vacation and overtime and everything else. But uh, these these workforces, I mean, if you look at the city, the city is spending eleven billion dollars a year on pensions, another eleven billion dollars a year on health care. So these same problems and potential solutions exist. Well, the, the city take care of our pensions, too, because we are under NICES. So yep. it's, it's, but the MTA pays, they, they pay the money into NICERS. Yeah, yeah. so, but yep. I think that it's fair, you know, not to, when, when, when people compare wages, um, pensions, uh, health benefits, and, and, and whatever else, I think they should compare us to other people who work in our same geographical area. I don't think it's just to say, you know, transit workers get this, but no, let's look into the city. Let's look at all the other major agencies. You know what? Wow, transit is actually on the bottom. All these other agencies are on the top. So I think that comparison needs to be made more in the media so people could actually see, hold on, transit ain't all what it's cracked up to be. We are actually behind everyone else. You have the PBA putting out commercials saying that their officers who's making 100000 a year cannot afford to live in the city in which they work. Meanwhile, I make about seventy-two thousand, which which is is almost thirty thousand dollars less than what they make. So if they can't survive, how can I survive? I think that need to be. Sure, told. I think because it's the it's the tale of two cities, and and only one. Yeah, but they're having mm-hmm. they're having the same problem. I mean, they don't they don't they're not happy with what the De Blasio administration has come back to them and the city is in a much better financial situation than the MTA, but not in, in, uh, in unlimited way. I think the police union, uh, you know, they're expecting a lot more from de Blasio than they're, they're going to get, you know, especially as we, we start to get toward the end of this economic cycle, if the city runs into a deficit, it's the same thing. But yeah, I agree with your, your general points about, pay parity and that there are a lot of legacy uh, discrepancies within these systems. But if you look at the MTA budget, unless the union can find some credible savings, the argument, uh, and you know, and then you get into the whole strike issue. I mean, that who, who more, if you get away from the numbers, politically speaking, who ends up caving first? Does the union cave first or does the governor cave first? And uh, you know, all sorts of things that are hard to predict right now. But for now, it's very difficult to see where the MTA comes up with this money. I mean, and, and, and when you look at it, you examine it, the, 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 the agency who actually make money every single day, we make money every single day. How do we get paid the least out of every other city agency in New York? How does that happen? <laughs> right. I mean, you, you bring in revenue every yeah. single day, but still, I mean, yeah, but every time someone takes a subway, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't pee for itself. You know, the ride is heavily subsidized by the, 
all of the different taxes that the state legislature has put in place over, uh, you know, going back to the early 80s. I mean, it's, uh, you know, the New York City Transit will run something like an $8 billion deficit this year if they didn't have those tax revenues that come in. Correct. Then the fares would not, you know, the fares are important, but it, it doesn't solve the problem. I got a question for you. How do you feel about the city taking over New York City Transit? Uh, it makes sense in a certain way and that the the taxes that the MTA takes in, they come from the city. I mean, it's like 74% of the taxes that the MTA takes in are generated in the city, whether the payroll tax, the real estate tax, and so forth. And the voters would have more direct accountability. I mean, I think a lot of people don't even know that Cuomo is, is ultimately in charge of the subway system. It might be better if the mayor, you know, they know that the mayor is in charge and they can vote on this. Very similar to how Mayor Bloomberg took over the education system, you know, back almost 20 years ago now, because he wanted the direct accountability. And the point of the MTA having a board system was that it would be financially self-sustaining and it could raise its own bonds and it would raise money to pay off the bonds. But that doesn't really work anymore because it's not financially self-sustaining. It depends on all these tax revenues. So it could make sense to do that. Uh, and one of the issues would be, does the state allow the city to take over those tax revenues? I mean, historically, Albany never wants to give very much to the city because the city's financial power means it's already more powerful than Albany. The only thing Albany has is the political power. So they never want to give very much up to, to New York City. But yeah, I think it could make a lot of sense. I mean, we might end up built, keeping more of our own capital dollars so that we're not spending as much money as we spend on Long Island Railroad and Metro North. We're spending more on the subway and bus system. Do you, do you think that the MTA will function better if the MTA board was um, really... Um, not connected to the governor? Like if they was independent of both the governor and the mayor, it was mostly made up of of the people, true people, not not picked by, you know, the governor and the mayor and and that. Yeah, I mean, one case you could make is that just a sort of jury might might do a better job than the (laughs) existing, uh, you know, just pick out 12 random people every year, just like we we do for the, the jury. But, I think having real independent board members, like right now, if you look at who's on the board, a lot of these people, they're they're either friendly with the governor or they worked or uh, still work for the governor. So they can't really be independent voices. I mean, you really need a board that would say about today's budget, like all of this is ridiculous. You're, you, you, you're, taking, you're counting on savings that you haven't even shown that you can achieve. You're hiring these cops, even as you, you still haven't really said what you're going to do with these cops. And so just standing up to the MTA management and the governor and saying, we're not going to approve this bu- this budget. There's just too many questions. I mean, there's that kind of independence is needed, but it's not existent. Oh, uh, yeah, I, I, I agree with that. You know what? I come to find out that me and you, we have more in common than what I thought. Thank you. And likewise, and it's important for someone like me. I mean, I, I spend all day looking at the budget documents. And of course, I take the subway like everyone else. 
sometimes you lose sight of the fact that these are very complicated real world problems with not a lot of easy solutions. Yeah. And, um, like it's easy for me to just say, okay, here's the healthcare budget. We'll just take $500 million off the healthcare budget, but they should start doing the years and years worth of work it would take to try to rationalize some of this healthcare spending. Yeah. I would love to see you do an article on, um, the MTA, they capital spending and why questioning them as to why they don't use more in-house resources. Well, send me over some uh, some some good uh, documents showing that you can you can do the work better. I'm happy to consider it. I mean, it's not even about doing the work better. You know, that could be argued, but but it makes sense. Cheaper, in fact, yeah, it makes sense. You're already paying us, so I I, I really think that what happens is um like with for the for the uh, subway action plan, I had a a signal maintainer tell me that. They had contractors down there getting paid like a hundred and change an hour to basically watch the actual workers do the work because they sure. didn't they didn't know what they was doing. So you know, uh, I I could get you some information. Now we have been okay. on this call for an hour and forty minutes, and it went by so quick. Um, I definitely it enjoyed. <laughs> I definitely enjoyed this interview. Um, could you tell the people where um they could reach you at? Sure. If uh, if they're on Twitter, it's just Nicole Delinus, uh, and I'm at the Manhattan Institute at Manhattan-Institute.org, and I'm in the post opinion section every Monday. Thank you, and I I, I definitely appreciate you for coming on the show. I didn't Likewise. think I didn't think that you you would have done it. Um, no, no, I was just. You know, you had asked a few times. I was, I was trying to, I was trying to bait you a little bit. I was trying to bait you no. a little bit. I said, "Come on, you went to go see them. See? Why you can't come to us?" <laughs> no, every time it's like I tend to just forget that I mean to answer people, and then it just falls down in the in the list. So I was coming on. Okay, now just to let you know if you ever want to use this platform to get something out there, um, just reach out to me. I, I went in mind interviewing okay. you again. I really enjoyed this interview. And um, I'm looking forward to talking with you more in the future. Yeah, we'll keep in touch as these union negotiations enter a more uh, torrid stage. You know, what I'd, I'd also be very interested in getting your perspective on, you know, potential strike action and everything else as the months go forward. That sounds good. Whatever I come across, I will shoot it your way. And um, Okay, thank and, you, Jamel. As you know what's going on. All right, thanks for calling in. Thanks. Right, Talk bye. to you later. All right. Bye. Well, that was Nicole Gelinas from the New York Post Manhattan Institute. I really enjoyed this interview. It gave us an insight as to how some of these um, journalists um, think about our jobs and, and think about the, the various things that go on with transit workers. Um, like I said, I really didn't think that she was going to take this interview, but she did, and I applaud her for it. Um I'm just, I'm excited. I'm excited about this one. I'm not going to lie. I'm excited about this one. But, um, yeah, it's important that we start having these conversations, especially with um, people who may not see the same way, not may not see things the same way that you see things. And um, so we could both get a greater understanding and perspective of the different worlds. Um, thanks for tuning in to the Progressive Action Podcast. We will be back next week with a new guest. And you can follow us. Hold on. Hold on. 
You can follow us at um, Progressive Act on Twitter. Um, we got Progressive Action Inc., which is the TV show that's on Facebook. And we have the regular Progressive Action group um, with about 12,000 members that's also um, on Facebook. And you can follow us, Progressive Action, on Instagram. Thanks for tuning in. I'll catch y'all later. Peace.